0: Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Thanks. How are we all? Happy bank holiday. Are you having a good one? Yeah, good. Good. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Um, (laughs) uh, Tonight, I'm going to carry on with our uh, sermon series, Visions of God, which we've been doing for a few weeks, but we've had a couple of weeks off, Um, so we're getting right back into it tonight, and it's been really good. We've been uh, just exploring the ways that God reveals himself to his people throughout the Bible, and it's just been a really refreshing series, you know, like sometimes uh, you get a little, you forget sometimes how big God is and how powerful he is and how majestic he is. And it's just been so healthy, I think, to to remind ourselves of that. I remember uh, when I first moved to London, about seven years ago, I guess, and um, I was working in in Shoreditch. And every day I would commute in from what I thought was a medium-sized town. I've learned it's a small town, really, since I left. And um, I'd get off at Liverpool Street and walk through the city and just be completely overwhelmed by everything I saw, like the buildings I'd never seen such big buildings before. I'd never seen so many people before. I'd never seen people painted silver before. It was Shoreditch. And, we, um, and I just sort of completely overstimulated by it all and just uh, would sit at my desk and just be spun out by everything that was happened on, on my way to work. And, and I noticed that eventually I became used to it and I sort of developed, I don't know, maybe those London blinkers where you, you stop noticing everything being so big all around you and you just sort of focus on, I need to get to the office today and I need to tick this and this and this off my to-do list and, uh, you know, somehow I miss out on all the the wonder that's happening around me and I think sometimes we're a bit like that with God. We come in with great amazement at who he is and what he's done for us and somehow over time maybe it loses some of its freshness and, um, yeah, I hope... This series, we'll we'll be able to have a jolt, like when you're walking across a London bridge and you see Big Ben again and you're like, wow, I am in London, but a million times more because it's God. I hope that we see something of of God in this. Um, Tonight, I want to think about the theme of God being with us, Um, something I grew up in churches, hearing lots of people say, oh, God be with you, and singing away in a manger and say, Jesus, dear Jesus, be with me, I pray. And I always wondered what it meant. Uh, I didn't really, I thought it was a bit of an empty phrase. I thought, God is everywhere, isn't he? sort of all over the place. And how can uh, God be, I mean, does it, is that just like saying to a fish, hey, stay wet today in, the, in that water there? I just thought, what, what does it mean? And then um, at 17, I was sitting in this, in this chapel on a youth weekend away, and I'd, I'd been encouraged by... Uh, quite a a fiery preacher to, to sit at the the bottom of this cross and think about what God had done for us, what Jesus had done for us on the cross. And I was, um, yeah, reflecting on, on the idea that Jesus had had died for my sins, like mine personally. And, and, um, all of a sudden I had a a feeling that I was very, um, I, I was in no way worthy of that. I felt very unworthy of it. And, um, and I had my eyes closed in prayer, but all of a sudden, I had this sense that there was someone, someone very terrifying, someone yet yeah, very beautiful in the same room as me, and that I was being picked up. And, and, and I felt, uh, and this doesn't really make sense, but I felt a sense of tangible love in the room. And I know that love is an emotion, and you can't feel an emotion tangibly, but to me, it felt like I was being loved in a way that I had never experienced before. And, um, and you can maybe say that that's an emotional experience, and you can maybe say that uh, you were sort of primed to have that experience by the expectations of people around you. But I know that for me, it changed everything. And uh, the idea of God being with us—it was like, wow, God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. You know, etc. And um, so, uh, tonight's reading is about a group of people who God was very much, very presently with. And I'm not a clever enough preacher to explain the intricacies of how God can be universally with everyone and manifestly with some people, but I know that God is with us. (laughs) And uh, I will try and explore what that is like and how it is to live with the presence of God with us. Um, So we're going to be reading from Exodus, and it's a famous story very famous. Uh, I hope we can hear it again with fresh, fresh ears. Um, so this is a story concerning the people of Israel. And at this stage in the story, they are in the wilderness. And they have just been set free from Egypt from slavery. You will know the story of the 10 plagues, how God uh, hit Egypt with plague after plague until they finally let the Israelites go free from slavery. And um, they've let them go. The people of Israel are walking out into the wilderness but the, the Egyptians, their Egyptian masters have has changed their mind and they're now pursuing them. All right, so we're going to start in Exodus 13. There's two sections to this. We're going to jump forward to Exodus 14 in a minute. Um, but if you'd like to turn in your Bibles with me or the words will be up behind me on the screen. Yeah. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. But God said, if they face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. And the Israelites went out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, because Joseph had made the Israelites swear on an oath. He had said, God surely will come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped to eat them on the edge of the desert. By the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Now we're going to jump forward to Exodus 14:10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? Why have you done, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So at this moment, the Egyptians are approaching behind. The Israelites are standing at the Red Sea and they're caught between an army and a sea. It seems like a dead end in a a dead place. Uh, And so there is a miraculous ending to it. I'm going to stop here because I want to focus on uh, the moment before the miracle, the journey, the part of our lives where we're waiting for God to move, the part of our lives where we're journeying with God and his presence is with us, but we have not yet seen the things that were promised. Uh, So, uh, this is a journey, because life, um, all through the Bible, you know, the the, the Christian life, the life with God, is is referred to as a journey. It's a recurring metaphor, and um, I'm just interested in what that's like, and and this idea of God being with us, that kind of uh, changes how you think of a journey. I know in London, we pride ourselves on our efficiency of travel, and we can know how to get from one place to another place, as quickly as possible my wife has this more than i do to be honest uh, but you can say you can say to a uh, londoner how did you get here and or where do you live and they will be able to tell you a very detailed route how to get to the, the through the quickest junction at a bank station how to get across london as quick as possible you know there's an old joke that uh says that if you go into a london pub and say there's been a bomb on the central line someone will turn around and say don't worry take the Jubilee, switch it back <laughs> we are used to journeys that are efficient and quick and squeezed and i think that sort of approach spills over into everything we view in life everything are we we sort of tend to hope that our careers will progress quickly, that everything that we will get on the housing ladder and we'll get up, up, up quick as, as quick as possible. But this journey that we're seeing in this story is going to be a frustrating journey if you have that kind of view. It took them, the Israelites a long time to reach their promised land. So, in fact, um, this is a, a map of the, uh, of the journey that the Israelites took. They were travelling for 40 years, They were traveling. They were able to travel at day and night, and you would think that they would travel pretty far in that Uh, time—maybe 200,000 miles. I don't know. If you were walking every day, 40 years is a long time. They made it 200 miles. 200 miles. You could actually walk the distance that they went, as the crow flies. You could do it in two weeks if you were really going to it. So why, if God was navigating them? Why did they end up taking such a strange and long route? Why did they not just get there as quick as possible? You would think that with God doing the navigation, you would be on for a quick and easy journey. But it seems not. Perhaps this is not a journey about getting somewhere. Perhaps this is a journey of becoming something. This is a journey not about getting to a place. It's a a journey towards a promise. And it comes back to this this promise that that God gave to to, uh, Jacob who Israel were descended from. He said that your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed by you and your offspring. It's a huge promise. This nation was going to be truly great. This nation was going to bless the whole earth. This nation was going to truly know God. But right now, where we are in this moment reading their story, they look a million miles away from that. They're in the desert They've been in slavery for the last 400 years. They have no army. They have no history, really, apart from this box of bones. They have nothing. When we talk about ourselves as a nation and we want to show ourselves to the world, we get our pageantry out. We saw it at the royal wedding last week. Uh, I think the, the commentators, after they came out of the church, they said, this is a chance for Britain to tell herself and the world who she is. And it was interesting. I kind of wondered what the world might think of what it was that we were telling them. It seemed to involve hats and horses that go in straight lines and, and we're keen on dresses. And I'm not sure what it was, but it's, it seemed to involve a lot of money and a lot of military, neither of which Israel have at this moment. All they have is a box of bones and the presence of God with them. God explains it in Deuteronomy 7. He says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In the middle of the hopeless, boring, empty wilderness, God is with them. And it's not because they're good, not because they're strong or they know what they're doing, or they've, they've studied for this, this moment they've built their armies it's just because of God is love for them and the presence makes it possible they're on, a, they're on a journey of transformation towards being a great nation that will have a land if they were to get the nation at this stage there's a chance they might not be ready for it I think God wanted to teach the Israelites more than just how to be a nation that has a land how to be a nation that has an army He's calling them to be a different kind of nation, one that would bless the whole world, one that would be defined by God's presence. And I think God calls us on a similar journey. He doesn't leave us where we are. He calls us out of lives that we've become familiar with. And he takes ordinary people and calls us to live extraordinary lives. He gives us big purposes. He gives us a plan. And sometimes that's... And then he transforms us to live a different kind of life. Um, We have big dreams. Sometimes we we talk about uh, our church wanting to renew the cultural, social, and spiritual uh, renewal of this whole city. And it seems like such a big and unlikely idea. Seems so ambitious, so huge. And I look at myself and think, wow, am I able to do that? And obviously the answer is no. The answer is no, unless, unless God is with us. Uh, we we have great promises. I'm sure we all have personal promises too, things that we dream to do, but wonder if they're too beyond us. Things that God has called us to do that we just think will never happen. Uh, Peter was called to be the rock on which Jesus built his whole church. He was not ready for it. He was a fisherman who had no education. He was kind of cowardly at the the worst of times. At the best of times, he was kind of brash. He was transformed by spending every day with Jesus. Corinthians says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We may not be successful, we may not be rich, we may not be clever. We may not have anything much going for us, but God promises to be with us and his spirit changes everything. He promises to transform us. I think if you are in the wilderness today and you are on your way to, you have dreams that you are hoping to see come true, you are hoping to see God do great things in your life and yet it seems so unlikely, you can still find that God is with you in in the midst of it. God is transforming us. God is calling us on a journey and transforming us. So we're in the wilderness with the people of Israel and God today. We've established that we're not on an A to B journey, that God is transforming us. And that's not all they're learning. They're learning that God is sustaining them. Uh, throughout the journey, they're going to learn how to rely on God for, just to, to look after their material needs. And this is like a, an ongoing narrative throughout the book of Exodus. As the, the, the people of Israel complaining that they don't have enough to eat they don't have enough to drink and, uh, and God kindly giving them uh, manna every day or he gives them water from a rock or he gives them quail to eat and um, the people of Israel are often, when we talk about it in, in lots of preachers they're always uh, characterized as like a complaining bunch of people but um, they, they were more concerned about what they were eating and drinking rather than, than the presence of God being with them but I think we should cut them some slack. Deserts are not easy places to be. I, I visited uh, the Australian outback once when I was 19 years old, and I met a guy who had had a, a near-death experience in the, in the bush. He, um, he told me that he had lost... Basically, he'd gone out walking from his car, he had a bottle of water with him, and um, he was walking along drinking it, and in seconds he looked around, he couldn't see his car and um, he had finished his water. And they say that if you are in the bush um, and you lose sight of your car, you're pretty much dead because the desert is so confusing and shifting and, and, um, and hot. It just brings your physical needs to the forefront and you can't ever, people just get completely confused and lose their way and don't ever find their cars again. And um, he had thankfully survived. But this is a difficult place to be and the Israelites are not a desert bearing people. They've grown up in, in, in Egypt and uh, they are used to being looked after and having their needs kind of met, albeit by like an oppressive force, but they don't have to worry about what they're going to eat and drink. Whereas when you, when you go to the desert, your, your need for God is, is pronounced. You need water, you need food. And it's the, uh, it makes you realize that God sustains you. Of course, like, the truth is that God's sustaining us all the time. God gives us everything. The reason that any of us are alive is that God allows us to be. He gives us our jobs, that we can go and work, and he gives us the water that we drink. He gives us every breath that we take. Sometimes you don't, you don't remember that because you don't need to worry about where it's coming from. But in the desert, you are much more pronounced. It's much more you have a much more need immediately for god to provide you water for god to provide you food so you um so the 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 people of israel really are needing physical things from god not just spiritual uh you see that god leads them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud it's not just a spiritual reality it's uh, the pillar of fire shows you where to go at night and i imagine keeps you warm when the temperatures drop the pillar of cloud gives you shade from the hot desert sun. And it's an invitation to know that God being with you is not just a spiritual reality, it affects your physical needs. In the book of uh, Nehemiah, God tells his people, when he's telling them about this story uh, in, the, in the past, reminding them of what he did for them in the wilderness, he says, because of your great compassion, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness by day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them in their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You, give your, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manner from their mouths. You gave them water for, your, for, for their thirst. God is not only interested in spiritual things. He is the God of matter. There's this uh, cartoon I saw in the New Yorker the other day that... Uh, it's a guy praying, and it says, perhaps if you gave me one big lump sum of cash, I wouldn't have to keep asking for small amounts all the time, and uh, I it's kind of a corny joke, but I think I do pray like that sometimes, I sort of imagine a future where you get some sort of, something comes off, you win a lottery, I mean, I don't buy a ticket, but somehow I do, uh, in my imagination, or someone just gives you a house, or someone just you just get some money from somewhere and I just like to imagine it and just think it's fine it's all at one day I'm not going to have to worry about all these physical needs London is not a desert but it is kind of hard to survive here you always having to to pay for things and and to to work out where you're gonna meet this bill and that bill and it's you know the the needs that you are you have a, a sort of They are are brought to the the forefront here. But in in Proverbs 30, uh, the writer prays like this Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. I find that really challenging that you would pray to not be too rich, that you would pray to to not be too comfortable, that you would pray so that you you have enough to survive, but that you are continually dependent on God, that you're continually looking to him to meet your needs like he asks us to. I kind of find that a challenging thing, but I think that's what the Israelites are learning here. They're learning that God can provide manna every day. They're learning that God can... Uh, tell, tell Moses to strike a rock and that water will come out for them to drink. I think there's a real freedom in thinking like that. Once you know that God has, cares about your needs and will provide for you, you can be free from worrying about them. And you can you can be free from living a life that's dominated by how I'm going to get this next thing, how I'm going to get enough to pay for this. You just sort of trust that God is 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 um leading you and providing for you i think the israelites had this idea of had, had become used to getting their food and sustenance from their egyptian slave masters and so they were expecting god to be a bit like that too that they would have to really fight with him to for, for them to for him to provide them with what they needed and yet God is much kinder than that. He says, because of your great compassion, he leads us. God leads our lives with great compassion. His presence is, is compassionate to us. He cares about your needs. He knows what you need. He, doesn't, he isn't just interested in, in your, what you do on a Sunday or just when you're in the times when you're reading the Bible. He cares about every part of your life. And the presence of God can, answer, can be active in every part of your life. Um, there's this great poet called uh, Jack Clemo. He's from Cornwall. He's not like, widely in print now, but he, um, he was a, a Christian poet back in the early 20th century, and he was working in Cornwall where he wrote a lot about clay, um, kind of niche, niche subject poetry about clay. It didn't have, like, a massive audience, but um, if you like poems about clay, they're great. And uh, he was um, an uneducated guy. It was kind of an unusual poet because he he was sort of self-taught. He hadn't really been to university. He hadn't um, done much at school. But he just felt that he had this calling to be a poet. And he also felt called to um, be married. Um, And he lived his whole life uh, trying to make it as a poet and trying also to get married and his life just seemed to get harder and harder like he uh, he was already slightly blind as a child but he went completely blind and then on top of that he went completely deaf as well and so the only way that people could cel- um, communicate with him was by uh, writing on his on his arm and he, throughout this all, he had this kind of austere view of God. He kind of viewed him as a, like a harsh taskmaster. And you see some of his spiritual poems. There's a lot of wrestling that goes on with God, as you'd perhaps ex- expect for someone who is living such a, a difficult life. Um, towards the end of his life though he changed and god god uh, provided a wife for him he got married finally after a string of like failed relationships he got married at 57 and um he was just full of joy and he looked back over his life and he could see how through all the things that he had been through god was preparing him and god was working in his life and he was just over um overawed by it and he wrote this poem that ends, it's called Emigrants, and it ends, I believe no longer darkly, despite God's silence and frown, but because the whisper came and the smile spread, till much surprised, I am awed by his pampering. And I just love the expression, awed by his pampering. I haven't ever really heard someone describe being pampered by God before, especially not someone who seemingly suffered so much. But I think Jack Clermo knew how to see how to view the god who sustains us he knew how to appreciate god's gifts he knew how to to be even in in the toughest of times in the toughest of circumstances he knew how to find what god was doing what god was giving him and he felt pampered i don't think that's um i don't think he's faking that sentiment i think he genuinely was awestruck by god awestruck by his kindness when i want to impose awe on someone i do not treat them kindly i'm not god god is uh much kinder than me. He's, he, he, he awes us with pampering. He looks after our physical needs, even in the toughest of situations. And it's about adjusting our perspective to know that God is, is sustaining us. So we see that the presence of God transforming us, the presence of God is sustaining us. This uh, last part is that God fights for us. This journey that the Israelites are on is not actually a journey, it's a chase. And, uh, you know, many times they'll come up to, against obstacles on their journey and they'll be just freak out and panic and cry out to God for him to, to move. And he, he does every time, but they seem not to learn the lesson and, and they always expect uh, God, to, God to let them down. There's um, The reason they're on this path in the first place, at this stage you'll remember from the from the reading is that god took them this way of the wilderness to avoid the philistines and uh truth is we never know i kind of i kind of love that detail that the writers put in because they wouldn't have known that at the time but i guess the uh, the writer was writing looking back at the the subsequent problems they did have with the philistines and knew that that they were someone to be avoided and knew that god was working to to avoid to avoid that conflict and that just encourages me because we will never know the battles that we do not face. Uh, sometimes God is working in the background to, to help us avoid problems that we couldn't handle. But then they come to this, this sea. And obviously they panic. They're out of their depth. They are equipped for battle, they're dressed for battle, but mentally they're not ready at all. They have no military experience and uh, they're stuck. They've got an army on one side of them and a sea on the other, and it's a dark night. It's, uh, the, and, they, and they turn to Moses and they say, listen, we should never have come here. We should have stayed as slaves. You know, it's, it's easy in times of conflict to think that we should just give up, that we should go back to the, the, the familiar yet uncomfortable ways that we, we knew before. It's, it's got to be a bad situation when you're thinking that you should go back to slavery rather than to to face this challenge but Moses says God says to them do not be afraid stand firm the Lord will fight for you so I want to talk for a moment about standing firm I have a hobby um, that I've had all my life and it is rare for me to have a hobby all my life I usually tend to get bored with things after about two weeks but This one particular hobby that I have, I do all the time, and I've always done it. It's uh, worrying about things. I am really, really great at worrying about things. I can um, worry about things that I can't do anything about. That's something of a signature move. I can um, worry about things that I can do something about, but because I'm so worried about it, I can't do the thing that I could do, which is a little bit more niche. That's uh, an expert touch. But the thing is, when I am worrying about it, and someone's, when I'm worrying about something, and someone says to me, uh, stop worrying, don't worry, just be happy, it's fine, don't worry about it, I find it very frustrating. <laughs> because uh, when you're worried about something, and it's a real situation like this, uh, an army on one side, a sea on the other, you don't need someone to tell you to stop worrying, you need someone to sort out the problem that you're worrying about. And um, so this is a, a funny thing. To, so I want to understand what standing firm is and what understanding that the Lord will fight for you is because I don't think what, what Moses is saying is stop worrying. It's, uh, it's something else. I think someone else who knew about um, fighting, facing battles with God was David. And he wrote this psalm, the famous psalm 23. It starts with the Lord is my shepherd. He guides me along the right path, or, or in the oldest translations, the path of righteousness, But his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Sometimes the path that God leads us on takes us through the dark valley, the, the valley of the shadow of death. It's through, I think... I've thought three things about this one the path goes through the valley of the shadow of death it feels when you're in the valley of the shadow of death it feels like you're stuck there but God leads us through these things secondly it's a shadow of death it's not a place where death is, is it's not the valley of death God doesn't kill us he's leading us through these challenges and there are some parts and thirdly I will fear, David says I will fear no evil and I feel like that's a decision. It's not just, a, I'm, I'm not scared by this. It's a decision. I think he probably is scared by it, but he says, I will fear no evil. And the reason that he gives is, because you are with me, your rod and your staff. The rod was uh, what shepherds used to hold to beat off wolves and lions to, that would, to protect his sheep. The staff was the tool to guide his sheep along the way. You know, the, God has the solutions to fight off the, the challenges that you face as well as to guide us through through them and so we can fear no evil because God is with us and that is not just a, a platitude that is not just a nice thing to say but it is uh, true it's especially true because we stand on the other side of the cross where Jesus took the punishment for death and defeated it on the cross and then rose again and defeated death once and for all we don't need to fear death anymore i mean what is there to fear if death is being beaten so the uh the journey that we we go on god is transforming us god is sustaining us god is fighting our battles there is power in the presence of jesus so we can stand firm we stand firm in worshiping god by declaring the great truths that he's given us we stand firm in solidarity with one another we can pray for each other and hold each other's arms up when we, when we are weak. And we can stand firm together. And we can stand firm in the truth of God. We can read the Bible and declare it over our lives. I love to read the Psalms. When, um, when you're in a wilderness time, a time of uncertainty, you can always find a, a Psalm that, that reflects the emotions that you're feeling. And people seem to have experienced every single uh, thing you can feel in, in, the, in the Psalms. And they, they talk... They sort of, they've written prayers that, that help you to find God in that. they really, um, there are psalms that are so honest and so raw and almost usually like way, way more intense than anything I'm feeling. But they always lead you from that place of, of desperation towards a God who is good. And I love that. I love that God comes into the wilderness with us. You know, God does not stand on the edge telling us where to, to go. The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud show us that God is with us in our wildernesses. So, if you are facing uncertainty about your future right now, you you're, uh, you have great dreams of places you want to go, but you are not able to see how you will get there. God is with you in that moment. If you are in the wilderness of, of, of illness and you are longing for a way out of uh, a way to health, God is with you in your illness. God is with you. In your battles, God is fighting for you with real power. It's, uh, it changes everything. changes everything. God is with us, and that changes everything. He's fighting for us. So, um, yeah, oh, maybe the bank will come back. So I think tonight I would like us to, um, to pray for each other. I would like us to pray for a number of things. Uh, maybe you, were like me, who had never... Um, understood the fullness of, of God being with you you have never experienced that before and I would love to um, pray for you to help you experience that uh, I think God, God says he reveals himself to those who who seek him um, maybe you are stuck in a sort of wilderness time of your life where you see some some sort of dry situation that seems to drag on forever And you just need God to to reveal himself in that and show you where you are going and give you a sight of the end. I would like to, um, we would like to pray for you for that. And maybe you need to fight a battle and it's time to stand firm and to just do nothing. Maybe you've been worrying and anxiously pacing up and down and looking for activity and it's time to just give your battle to God and let him fight it for you. Um, So I would like to pray for all of those things. um, Shall we stand? And then, and, uh, yeah, I'll I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you guide us through the wilderness. Thank you that you are with us in every situation, that you are good, that you lead us with compassion, that you have chosen us because you love us, not because of anything that we, we do. And Lord, you fight for us. And I pray that we would know your presence with us. Come and open our eyes to who you are, God. Come and show us more of your presence with us. Come and show us what it means to walk with you, to stand firm in you, and to go to the promised land that you are leading us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit Christchurchlondon.org.